Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you this day for the promise that you give that even though we grieve, Lord, that you would still grant us hope and that our hope goes beyond the grave. We would ask this day that you speak the words that your people need to hear and break it small, fit for our consumption. In your name we pray this. Amen. For those that are following along in the bulletin or have brought your Bible along with you, or if you pick this up later on the podcast because it's difficult to hear for one reason or another, we turn to Lamentations, chapter 3, from 19 to 33. It's important to note that as we engage in our text today, that Jeremiah, the author of Lamentations, writes this as a lament. The first chapter is over the grief of seeing Jerusalem itself as though a body lain in the street and stepped over. As the people of Israel have seen their holy city destroyed and themselves sent into exile. And Jeremiah, as the mouthpiece of God, comes in and says, This is because of your sin. This is God's judgment against your unfaithfulness and your rebellion. This is the cost to be paid. See, even in forgiveness, there is still consequence. And even in forgiveness, there is still pain. As we pick up in our reading today, Jeremiah begins in our text in verse 19 as he says, Remember my afflictions and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore, I have hope. And then he goes on to speak of this hope that he has a missed grief and a missed mourning. Grief over matters of both life and death inspires those soul crushing questions of why and what if. Or the ideas of if only. And coulda, shoulda, woulda. But we grieve over a multitude of things and it's not just confined to death. But that we definitely feel the sharpness of its pain there, but we also grieve over other things too. Lost opportunities broken relationships, 
even the consequences of our own sin. And these questions become a loss that we feel as a tangible void. But see, we have this hope that we speak. And for this reason, as we gather, we aren't clouded in darkness and shrouded in shadows. But how we speak the message matters. I've shared this before, but as my wife and I experienced our first miscarriage, we were in our last year of college, our first year of marriage. We were five or six hours away from family. The fact that she was even pregnant was a huge shock to us. It wasn't part of our plan. We had intended to wait a few years before that happened. And her pastor at the time, who was genuinely kind-hearted and compassionate, calls and tries to comfort by saying the words, just take heart and know that this is a result of sin in your life. Now, the well-intended statement was in regards to the wages of sin is death, and we know that, and we know that from a theological perspective that the statement itself is true. And that there is great hope in that statement as we have victory over sin in our lives. But rather, the way that we heard it sucked every ounce of hope right out of it. Jeremiah stands in the midst of an impossible situation. The people of God are grieving over their own exile. They are grieving over their literal destruction as they have seen their holy city smashed to smithereens. And he stands in the midst of it and he says, I feel it. It burdens me. It crushes me. You can hear that in the first two verses. But then he said, but I have hope in this. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. See, we struggle with silence. We ask God, why me? Why now? Why this person? What if it had been different and could have, should have, would have done this a different way? 
And we rack our brains and we tear our hearts apart trying to find a way that we could have solved the problem differently, that we could have saved that person's life, that we could have mended the broken relationship before it was irreparable. But see, we're not used to silence. It makes us uncomfortable. And guaranteed, if I pause long enough in the middle of the sermon, you'll wonder if I have forgotten where I am. I assure you I haven't. But yet sometimes the most powerful statements are the ones that aren't ever spoken. See, by contrast, we, as we entered back into the building on the first day that Nikki returned to class. The man that had become my advisor at Concordia, Wisconsin, saw us walking in together, and the dude looks like Santa Claus. Bleach white hair, thick bleach white beard, about yay tall, and just an incredible heart as a pastor. And he comes up and he puts his arm around Nikki's shoulder and he gives her a little squeeze. And as I'm watching this, he doesn't say a word. And a couple of tears roll down his cheek and he nods his head and then he walks off into the building. And I thought, man, he didn't even say anything. I don't get it. Why didn't he even say anything? He didn't try. See, that was my pain speaking. And then later when I asked him about it, he explained. He said, in my first call as a missionary, I was on the other side of the world. And my wife and I experienced miscarriage and there was no one there around us to comfort us, to care for us, to encourage us. No one that spoke our language. And I learned something because there are some pains that words cannot speak to. There is some depth of grief and mourning that only silence can speak to. Because noise... It's only just that. He said, I said everything I needed to by not saying at all. See, for three days, the silence was deafening from the grave. For three days, the disciples thought that their hope died the day that Jesus did. For three days, darkness overshadowed their relationships with one another and those that they had been called to serve because they didn't go out beyond their walls. Instead, they locked themselves within them. And after three days of silence, the very earth beneath them 
shook as the tomb bursts open and life breaks forth and it cannot be contained any longer. That the hope that Christ had given them in His life was now fulfilled for them in His resurrection. See, loss is seasonal. We experience the immediacy of its pain, but grief is something that kind of clings to us. It is binding. And for that reason, when we gather on occasions like all saints, we don't do it to celebrate the lives of the faithful, but rather we celebrate the hope that God has given both to us and to them because of His Son. And that this hope that we have is something tangible and real as the people of God gather together and we hear the words, You are forgiven. We cling whatever we can to in the middle of the storm. We look for that thing that is unshakable, immovable, that rock that stands steadfast. And Jeremiah spells it out plainly and he says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. The best way I have ever heard grief explained or described is that it's like waves in an ocean. And you're kind of bobbing along as a boat just sitting on the top of it. And some days it feels like the water is calm and mellow and you could just drift on for days. And then other days you feel like you're bailing water out left and right because it's about to capsize in the middle of the perfect storm. And there is no rhyme or reason for why one day is harder than another. It could be a smell in the air. It could be something that happens that triggers the reminder that, man, I could have been in a different place. See, as the people of God... We wrestle with the question of do we roll over and just give in to the destruction? Does Israel just give up and throw their hands in the air and say, you know what, we've been beat. We're done. We're finished. We do not have a place left in history. Because we know that's not how the story ends. We know that out of this faithful remnant of Israel, God sends His Son who leaves the very throne of heaven to be in the dust of the earth so that He can live life as a man and die at the hands of men. So that He would rise 
three days later. And even that's not the end of the story. Because their idea of Jerusalem, that ended for them on this side of eternity. And instead, God says, you know what? I'm going to show John what this looks like. I'm going to show him what it means to be restored, to see everything put back the way that God intended it in the first place. And he says, there, there is no more weeping or mourning. And every tear will be wiped away. Our hope lives in Jesus. This is the gift that God has given us to give away. So that God always gets the glory. Now and forevermore. Amen.